So welcome everyone to our ongoing Bible study in 2 Corinthians. I believe we're uh, uh, smack in the middle of the first chapter, having only done one study. Um, and we didn't really do much background last time because we focused on Paul's introduction, which was about comfort, right? And I thought that was a self-contained subject. But today's passage, which Brother Sam, I think, will put in the chat, Verses, verses 12 to 22. So can I get some volunteers to read chapter 1, 12 to 22 out loud? Now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace, for we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes or no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thank you. All right, so um, I think we get kind of the uh, zero in on the purpose of the, at least the first part of the letter, if not the entire letter of 2 Corinthians. If we look at verse 15, okay, verse 15 uh, gives us what they call the occasion, the reason uh, for this correspondence, right? And uh, so let's start with that, and then uh, I'll try to like elaborate more uh, or expand more on the background. So Paul says, because I was confident of this, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. Okay, so what Paul is saying is that um, it was his intention, his desire, his plan to visit the Corinthians twice. Okay, so on the way to Macedonia, he would visit them. And then on the return trip, he would visit them again, right? And the reason that he wanted to visit them in, the, in, in this manner was so that um, by going there on the way to Macedonia, he could 
have a first visit, and then on the way back, he could visit them twice. That's what he means by, I think, so that you might benefit twice. So, in fact, he did go, right, on the, on the, the first leg, the, the outbound trip, if you will, right, from wherever he was to, to Macedonia. On the way there, he stopped in Corinth, right, and then he went to Macedonia. But he did not come back, right? He bypassed Corinth and went back to wherever he needed to go. Judea, it says in 16, right? So the Corinthians got wind of this, right? That Paul went back to his origin point without going through Corinth, as he had told them that he would. And as a result, they are critical of him. Right. And so he, he mentions it in verse 17. When I plan this, did I do it lightly? Joe's version read fickle. Right. Or do I make pl my plans in a worldly manner so that it, Paul is saying, hey, uh, you the, the Corinthians were uh, either accusing or alleging that Paul didn't keep his promise, didn't keep his word. He was um, he was he was he vacillated. Uh, he was not trustworthy. He, he, you know, he changes his mind all the time. Whatever, you know, however you want to characterize it, they saw this as a character flaw. That Paul was unreliable, that you couldn't trust his words. Okay, so that's what he's responding to uh, in this section mostly, right? So from 12 to 14, he is giving a, a, an honest assessment of his heart and um, his conscience, right? And he is uh, basically forswearing that he, he didn't do this because he is a person that lacks integrity. Right. He's it's, it's kind of an apologetic. He's defending himself against their allegations. OK. And then he makes it theological in 18 through the end. He talks about uh, the undergirding of his choice structure, his the reason why and how he does things and his own. Um, faithfulness he undergirds it even almost analogizes it um, to god's faithfulness right the fulfillment of the promises that god made in jesus christ paul is saying in a sense that when he when paul makes promises he seeks to fulfill them right and if he doesn't fulfill them it's not because of a worldly or selfish purpose. There is a good reason, a spiritual reason, a spirit-led reason even. Okay. So that's kind of the, the basic outline of this passage structure-wise, right? Paul trying to um, explain is one way to say it. Defend is another way to say it. Even teach right, what he has done and why it's kind of legitimate, right, legitimate. And, you know, I, just kind of think through it a little bit, 
right? Think, think through about what he's saying. I, I think there could be a number of different ways to read this, to receive it, to interpret it, right? I think some people may say, you know, Paul is just kind of trying to rationalize what he is, what he did. He's just trying to explain away something that, you know, he really maybe should take some uh, criticism on, right? Other interpreters will say that, no, if you look at Paul, what Paul is saying, right, uh, this is something that the Corinthians, on the Corinthian side, they were quick, too quick to judge. They were assuming the worst. They did not give him benefit of the doubt. And if you just think about life's communication gaffes, you think about situations and um, contexts where maybe a, a change had to take place or you couldn't attend something or make something or fulfill a commitment that you made. And probably any, any range of responses that others have or, or observations or criticisms that others have made, right? Probably within that gamut, right? Where some people are very receptive to our explanation. Some people accept that, you know, whatever reason is offered, it's offered with sincerity and um, it shows a kind of, um, uh, you know, a candor or um, they are able to trust, you know, your explanation. And then there are others, no matter what you say, right, they will continue to um, be suspicious or they will uh, be particularly... um, immovable, unwilling, Uh, they won't concede. Uh, So it's pretty interesting to me that the great apostle Paul finds himself in this kind of uh, difficult situation, maybe even a conflict with a, a church, with a body of believers who surprisingly right he should have i think more uh, he should, you, we would expect a smoother and more um w- a warmer kind of interaction than this kind of text seems to indicate right paul was the founder of the church he brought the gospel they were saved through paul's message paul stayed with them a year and a half Right, Paul poured out for them, and then he uh, entrusted the ongoing growth of the church and the ministry of the gospel to them. Now, in the interim, right, since Paul um, departed after founding the church, right, he spent a year and a half with them, I think. In the ensuing years, the Corinthians kind of started, you know, running in, you know, engaging in certain practices or 
holding certain beliefs that were problematic, right? And so, you know, the first letter, the, what we call First Corinthians, represents Paul's attempted correction. His, uh, he points out doctrinal errors, relational issues, um, divisiveness, right? So many things that the Corinthians, although they were a strong, energized, and capable, um, knowledgeable uh, community of faith, uh, they had many issues that Paul addresses. So like in 1 Corinthians, he'll talk about their divisiveness. He'll talk about their so-called um, gifts that they uh, used or, or were kind of emphasizing to um, against the, you know, um, or they were using it in a way that did not, um, w- was not characterized by love, right? So we get the famous first Corinthians 13 chapter of love in the context of the exercise of spiritual gifts. It's not just like about marriage. It's really about loving one another, right? Faithfully in Christ. And when we are interacting and when we have abilities or privileges or powers, how to exercise them properly. Right. Paul talks about the resurrection, the doctrine issues that they were kind of, uh, kind of uh, goofy about. And he talks about um, <clears throat> major sin issues like um, lawsuits. And there was, uh, I think, a, a man who was having incestual relations with his stepmother. So, uh, you know, Paul is talking about a lot of that in First Corinthians. Okay. So let me try to you know, we're going to go over this again in, in, in subsequent studies because it keeps it comes up. But the timeline is a little tricky to establish, okay? Because many scholars, I'm not a scholar, but when I read this, it it they they posit they they think that there is a reference to another letter, okay? Another letter that was written by Paul to the Corinthians, right? Um, that is mentioned or referenced in what we call Second Corinthians. But it looks like that letter preceded, right, the writing of Second Corinthians. So this is a timeline that, to my best attempt, um, I've kind of cobbled together, right? So after Paul wrote First Corinthians, right, uh, and he, and he, challenged, he wrote a lot of challenging things to them. He felt the need to visit them. And that's what he did. So the first thing that happened, relevant thing for us is 1 Corinthians. And then Paul's first visit, which, you know, he did on the way to Macedonia. Okay, but, and it'll come up more fully in subsequent studies. The things that happened in that first visit were painful, Right. They were, uh, they were difficult. There was a lot of conflict. I think Paul was continued to challenge them, but they, weren't, they didn't take it very well, right? So it didn't get resolved by the time Paul had to leave, right? So Paul leaves Corinth and goes on to his next destination. And 
he, the next plan would have been to return to the Corinthians like he had originally devised. But because of the difficulty of that first visit, it looks like Paul opted to write them another letter. And that's the letter that no one has a copy of. It's a missing letter. I call it 1.5 Corinthians because I think it's between first and second. Okay. Some people call it whatever, whatever. I call it 1.5. So Paul wrote this letter and it was maybe even harsher than first Corinthians. But Paul felt that that was better than him physically going there. Right. Virtual was better than in person. Wow. Even in the first, even in the first century on occasion. Okay. So he sent it. Right. Um, and then, right, he was very anxious to see what their reaction was, right? And we'll get into it again uh, later on in chapters one and two. But it turns out that the Corinthians respond well. They do repent. They do what Paul tells them to do, right? But they still have some, you know, lingering questions or distrust and all that kind of stuff. And that's what... Paul is addressing here in 2 Corinthians, right? He's trying to basically fully reconcile with the Corinthian church and to explain uh, his actions, right? So the entire book, uh, there's so many rich doctrinal issues and, and teachings and just like when we get to chapter five, like I'm thinking about spending like two years on chapter five. It's so like every verse is like so powerful to me. I won't, but, you know, when we get there, because he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation and he says things like he, you know, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, right? What does it mean for Jesus to be sin, right? That's like, you know, six messages right there. Anyway, my point is that uh, Paul is making these kind of teachings and, and corrections in the midst of a larger goal to really explain and really kind of get into the right, return to a right relationship with the Corinthians, right? And um, it's a fascinating study in kind of ministerial relations. It's a fascinating study about communications, expectations, assumptions, um, kind of, you know, a, a, a real kind of, uh, uh, like a, Paul bears his soul, I think, in many ways, as he appeals to, you know, the better instincts of the Corinthians. And I think, you know, there's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned. Maybe, you know, some of you guys are wise enough to avoid the, some of the, the quagmires that I think Paul finds himself in. But probably, you know, a lot of us will encounter this, maybe not in church, but in the family, in the workplace, in friendships and stuff. So I hope those are things that you can make personal application of, right? And certainly in the church, um, as Paul tries to, I think, demonstrate um, a lot of spiritual overtones in the things that he said and did, and maybe the lack of spiritual overtones in the things that the Corinthians said and did, right? Um, now, it's not all about like Paul is right, the Corinthians are wrong, right? I think there's plenty of that.
But I think there are some other ways in which we can also, like I said, learn to, uh, you know, learn to begin and continue and, con and, and complete, right? All in the wisdom of the spirit. So I find what he says about the spirit of God being in, in the latter verses of today, uh, that's helpful. So there's more to say, but I wanted to pause there and get any questions, clarifications, comments from any of you guys on this passage or the background of 2 Corinthians so far. Nada Prada. Okay, um, so let's look at verses uh, 12 to 14. 12 to 14. Okay. Um, Paul is um, basically saying that, I think, that he's saying that he has examined his heart and um, maybe scoured it, if I could use that word, for his motives and for his um, explanations and for his conduct, right? especially in his relations with the Corinthians. And I think to the best of his extent, to, to the best of his abilities, he is able to say with a straight face that um, he's conducted himself in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. To me, that is a pretty awesome statement, right? Awesome, not only in the colloquial use, like that's awesome, but it's a very... Um, kind of like tremendous and almost frightening uh, word to say, to describe oneself. Um, I know some people, you know, really feel that they're right about the things that they do and that they, you know, have no, 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 no blind spots even. They're so, um, you know, um, they have such integrity and they have such, um, you know, uh, sincerity that they're blameless. I know some people feel like that, but um, I think if you have self-awareness, right, you know that that is a very difficult statement uh, to make. Um, so the fact that Paul is making it, um, I think it it shows me, right, uh, how uh, seriously and how carefully um, he took the charge that God gave him uh, upon his life, that he worked through his conscience and he uh, purified his motives um, to such an extent that he can say in full transparency that uh, his conscience is clear uh, before God. Yeah. I mean, this, again, you know, certain people may say Paul's not self-aware. Paul, 
is actually he's 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 very arrogant about himself uh and and you know I, i don't think i could dissuade somebody if you feel like that's the case and nobody can say this then probably nobody can right uh but for those that have tried right i i think this is such a far cry from normalcy especially what is kind of what passes for um, kind of conduct or character or sincerity today right that um this is rare right if non-existent uh, amongst um, people of today so um I'm just imagine I just kind of think through what it must have taken Paul uh, to go through this kind of um, self-examination, maybe this confession, purging of the soul, um, maybe accountability uh, to say something like this, right? And and I think that there's kind of a a, a beauty and an even a naivete uh, to it that. Paul really believes that this is what the standard is and that by God's grace, right? He says, all according to God's grace, he is able to live up to that standard. I think we are much more jaded. We're not, the reason that we would never say anything like this is not because we don't think that we are like this or other, we just have this, such a negative view of ourselves and of other people and of human relationships we doubt people we we're always sussing each other out and and you know we we don't you know we've seen it too much we're, we're, we're new yorkers we're not going to be fooled we're not going to be duped said peter um peter park shared anecdot- anecdotally how he was duped um you know because you know we know the real deal we, we we can we can catch you know fakers and you know that kind of thing and so but we, you know, basically shoot ourselves in the foot because we almost a priori assume that this can't happen, that nobody's like this. And so what we do is we let ourselves off the hook or, or we assume that about other people. Like if somebody came and said this to us, right? It's, I think, easier to just dismiss them as saying, oh, this guy, like, who does he think I am? Like, you know? And he must think I'm like, I was born yesterday or whatever we say, right? Instead of actually uh, wrestling with the possibility that the person might be honest and that I might have to trust this person to my own potential detriment, I have to be vulnerable enough to accept that there is somebody who can say this about themselves and what they did, even if I don't understand it, I have to wrestle with whether I'm going to accept uh, their word, take them at their word, right? So I feel like, you know, while I'm cynical as well, that, you know, who can say this about themselves? I don't want to categorically say it can exist, not because it's whether it's true or not. It's I don't want to let myself off the hook from having to deal with trust issues, having to uh, strive for a standard, having to challenging all of us to strive to that standard. You know what I'm saying? 
it's not good for us to like um, pass over or or kind of you know circumvent or maybe not even worry about these kinds of claims because it's easier just to dismiss them or ignore them or to to stay uh, you know to just count them all as dubious. Um, this is, I think, a biblical standard. It might be aspirational more than realistic, but it's still a standard. And even if we can't get there every time and we can't surround ourselves with people that can get there every time, that doesn't mean that we should not try. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't really push ourselves to one day be able, right? Miracle of miracles to say this to say this to one another. You guys know what I'm saying? And I think I'm I'm belaboring this point because I think that applies to a lot of what the word of God says, that it is practically impossible or or very difficult. And there are not that many people that are doing it, not many churches that are like that. But that doesn't mean we have to go to, like we say, the lowest common denominator. That doesn't mean we have to like, like throw, you know, like just you know, be so kind of sophisticated and so kind of like critical that you know we're not going to, you know, um, let ourselves be taken in. No, a lot of, not a lot, but enough of the Bible is really about being taken in. First, taken in by God, right? God saying, "Well." You might not like me. You might not like the way I run the world. You may not like the way I run my life. I run your life. But hey, do you trust me or don't trust me? Right? Give me your password once again. Give me access to your, your secret files. Once again, you know, that's how God, that to me, that's God's MO, right? And n- none of us dare do that with each other, right? Uh, we have to, you know, be as frank and open and tr- whatever disclosive I think that's the right word disclosive and um and 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 um transparent and and kind of we must respect and take each other seriously and stuff like that but there sometimes will come a time where you know we have to wrestle and wonder if the person before you the brother or sister or the you know the the member or the leader right what they're saying uh you know, are you going to be willing to be vulnerable to them? Are you willing to be hurt, to be disappointed, to be uh, fooled, quote unquote, once again? Um, hopefully not. Hopefully you won't. You know, that won't happen. But unless we face that possibility head on, and I think at least some of the time overcome the inertia of typically always saying, well, you know, I know better. Well, fool me once, whatever that, <laughs> I always get confused. I, what that is, fool me once, fool me twice, whatever, my fault, your fault. Um, you know, that kind of, kind of skepticism, right, doesn't work uh, in a, like a robust biblical kind of um, approach or biblical philosophy of, relationship building right it's built in i think to how god interacts with us and hopefully there is a few examples 
of people like Apostle Paul who make us uh, try to apply this, try to um, implement this on a person-to-person level, right? And then hopefully if that happens, we get, you know, more examples of that and maybe a small group of people uh, can share that kind of, you know, uh, relationality, that kind of, you know, vulnerability, that kind of trust, that kind of blamelessness uh, with each other. And, you know, maybe miraculously it'll expand to, uh, to others um, in the same um, family of God, right? Okay, so I said a lot there, right? I hope it was somewhat understandable and that it's kind of rattling around in your minds and hearts right now. Okay. So um, moving on to 13 to 14, I won't uh, belabor it too much, but um, it's interesting that, you know, Paul, I think he is hinting that somehow the Corinthians um, have not quite fully understood all of the reasoning Uh, that Paul has given. And so he's going to set out on trying to give a fuller understanding uh, of it. Right. And I just wanted to, you know, like I said, briefly point out that uh, I I think that's what we need to try to do. Uh, Meaning that um, to always have kind of a desire, a willingness, a disposition to, and a humility, right. To, look for fuller understanding, right? Um, In in other words, you know, to not um, assume too much, to not jump to conclusions too fast, uh, to not say, you know, you know, I know because I saw X, Y, Z. Well, maybe you saw X, Y, Z, but you missed A, B, C, D all the way to uh, VW, right? And so, don't just say X, Y, Z, keep looking for A, B, C, D, E, F, et cetera. And so this kind of, ep- I keep liking saying this phrase because it's, it's hard to say, it's a tongue twister, but it also sounds cool. Epistemic humility, right? Epistemology is, you know, how do I know what I know? And I just feel that, you know, in our political climate, right, um, this kind of conviction of knowledge is just so haywire. It's kind of haywire. It, like, you know, the, the, the strangest things people have like 100% confidence in and the things that they should be confident in, they like deny and, you know, cry conspiracy, conspiracy. It's just so like wacko to me at this point. So I, I'm including myself in that wacko wackiness but so epistemic humility um i think paul is i think that's a key component of working through misunderstandings working through conflict working through uh broken relationships right that um if if it's up to you if it's up to me uh we should want to understand more especially if there is an occasion of inconsistency. Like let's say a certain person acted one way and then they acted totally out of character the next way, 
right? There, there could be like 500,000 reasons why they're like that. But you, and sometimes we get locked in on like the worst reason of them all. And it, it might turn out to be true, but at least do your due diligence, do what you need to do to really kind of figure out why that's the case. And, you know, I, I think most of, much of the time, there are things that I never knew or didn't understand or didn't understand clearly enough that can uh, kind of help me to uh, figure that out. So uh, again, uh, a willingness to know more in it, that's edifying, of course. Like sometimes we can be, you know, we just want knowledge for the sake of salacious knowledge, right? I'm not suggesting that, but where there is room to more fully understand for the sake of having a better relationship with somebody, I think, you know, that's what um, should be our undergirding or our, 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 that's what should be um, uh, really kind of present at all times, right, for us. Okay, uh, let's finish up with 17 through uh, 20. Two, 17 through 22. And, uh, you know, Paul is getting a little more, whatever, worked up, even heated uh, when he, you know, I think takes their words or their, the insinuations that, you know, Paul is being worldly or he's being uh, capricious, right? Um, there is a, a, a step that needs to be made that, um, I think he makes maybe arguably later in verse um, 19, I think you could say that Paul is saying, um, we, me, Silas, and Timothy preach the gospel uh, to you. And so that is the, the type of decision-making we do. It's, you know, um, it's intertwined or it, it's uh, it's interconnected. Like, so he's saying, because we're the ones that preach the gospel uh, to you, right? Um, therefore, the decisions and choices and uh, thought processes that we make, right? There is uh, spiritual aspects uh, to it, right? And he says that again, I think in verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. So he brings the Lord into the landscape. He brings it, he brings God into the equation and basically saying that, hey, the reason that I did not go to you visit you a second time the reason i had to you know break my plans or some would say break his promise is uh because of um the glory of god or because of of god. there was something in in god's economy uh god's plans that necessitated uh paul to make this change right and so you know rein in or pull back from this kind of worldly um, 
criticism or analysis um, and seek, you know, the spiritual reason uh, for that. And I think Paul tries to develop that in the end of chapter one and uh, more um, in uh, chapter two, right? Um, so, you know, this again is like kind of like put your hand on your heart and be honest to me, right? Um, again, a, a skeptic might look at this and say, Paul's just saying that to, you know, make his argument or make his explanation sound stronger. I mean, you could look at it that way. But the way I want to look at it is for Paul to make this kind of statement, he must really, right, pray and uh, really seek God's will and really try to, you know, spiritualize in a good sense, spiritualize his decision making. You know, does this, is this consonant with God's purpose? Um, is this the time, is the timing uh, the way that God wants? You know, his relationship with God, the, the, the spirit's uh, leadership and, and presence and, and guidance in his life is so real that he can say, again, with a straight face, that he made decisions um, based on uh, whatever, God's consultation or God's direction. God, you know, God, God made changes that Paul had to align with or adapt to is kind of how I read 17 through 22, right? And, you know, for us to be able to, you can't say that glibly, you can't say that uh, reflexively, you can't say that kind of just to make yourself look better, you really have to live it out. Right? So it's almost, I feel like Paul is able to say all these sweeping things, these kind of like very um, hard to kind of, kind of um, claim things because he really, he's a real deal, right? He has real spiritual substance, right? It's not formulaic. It's not, you know, some sort of leadership ploy. It's not his trying to manipulate. Um, he'll talk about later on that he has the evidence of God's spirit working in his life. And, you know, spoiler alert, he says, it's you Corinthians, you wouldn't be around if God wasn't, if God's spirit, if God's spirit wasn't working in me, you guys wouldn't be Christians. So at least, the Corinthians had to acknowledge that, right? So, um, again, um, the there is kind of a, I don't know, there's kind of like Paul seems to me both kind of detractive and attractive, right? He's detractive in the sense like, or unattractive, or he detracts from... <laughs> like my desire to serve God or, or, or how I, you know, look at serving God because he's just too, you know, I don't know, like there's too much clarity. There's too much, like the claim is too big, right? Um, I, I feel like, again, if you're like me, anybody that makes this claim, I just go, 
what is he talking about or what is she saying like i i won't listen to anything else if someone comes out like this but it's attractive because i think paul is able to back up what he says right with the uh, power of his fruitfulness his faithfulness his suffering his um yeah the evidence that the spirit has anointed him and that god has fulfilled the promises uh in him right so um i hope that explanation is also understandable good so um does anyone want to offer thoughts or questions on uh those uh, points that I tried to convey. Um, I think when I read Corinthians, I'm always um, kind of touched by Paul's heart that, um, you know, that, well, one in first Corinthians that he would go through I'm sure it must have been hard for him to say some of the things he did in 1 Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, to love the Corinthians enough to kind of try to explain himself and, you know, persuade those that, like you said, doesn't matter what he says, they probably won't um, trust him or, or, um, understand his heart so um yeah so i i think that too is a testament to how paul really wants to try to love these corinthians the same way that he was loved by christ very nice i think um I've always sort of this uh, this verse, right, verse twenty, where he says, uh, you know, "No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ." Um, it always just kind of sticks out to me because I don't know. It just seems like a, a like an odd construction, like a a weird way of speaking. Um, and and this verse is often we sort of like uh, will cite it uh, out of context. Uh, and stuff, but um, I guess I'm just wondering, sort of, in in relation to, I guess, the points that he's trying to communicate with the Corinthians. Like, is he is he saying that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess how how like he's making a point, I guess, about like God's faithfulness and stuff. But you know, um, is he saying that like he he didn't come? but it's not really yeah i guess i'm just sort of uh, still trying to understand like how that connects up yeah I, I think that's a great question and um it's a hard to answer one my i kind of go all the way with it and say i think paul is saying that just as god's promises never fail and he never like breaches them or reneges on them paul is saying i don't do that either because i am in christ and my ministry is, you know, for you guys. And so don't, you know, throw away the, this, that nagging 
doubt you have that I'm, I did, th- I did this for my, that I didn't do this for you. I think that's how I have to look at it. Cause why else would he mention it? Um, and include kind of, kind of include himself in, in, in God's faithfulness. Right. So it's basically saying, even if you like, okay, you guys are doubting my sincerity, doubting my promise. You probably doubt God's too, <laughs> but God's promises always come true. And I don't know what that means in Jesus Christ. Like, you know, is it Christocentrism or, you know, you see Jesus in every verse of the old Testament and New Testament, whatever. I don't know if that's what he's saying, but I think he's saying that, you know, you, that eventually in Christ, all of God's promises will come true. And Paul is saying, not that he is perfect, but that um, that is what he's saying, at least about, I think he's saying that about his own ministerial decisions, that they are, it, it is not equally, but let's say analogously faithful. I'll let you, uh, Bunch on that for a while brother <laughs> so i guess it's all it's more like not sort of just looking at like will i come not come and sort of narrowly that's a yes or no but like he has an ultimate larger ministry purpose which is yes and like even by not coming i guess he's going to talk about the larger purpose and that that was actually a yes in some way for their kind of benefit yeah i think that's what it's if i followed you right and i think that that's he is trying to give a larger context to this to his decision that they are not yet like understanding or or, or kind of they have not yet you know digested in the same way that we don't always understand God's lack of apparent lack of promise fulfillment until God reveals more. That helps. Thanks. Which is a pretty pretty. <laughs> bold uh you know and, and a lot of chutzpah to say something like that so yeah but it i mean i guess it makes sense though because it is true right i think that like we do doubt god's you know intentions or motives or like you know something bad happens and we question like how can you know how can god let this happen and things like that so if we're if we're if we're you know lobbing those kinds of questions at the creator of the universe then yeah, the moment that some like a fallible human does something that kind of strikes us wrong, we we instantly assume the worst. And so I guess that, you know, it makes sense. But I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen people kind of assume the Pauline kind of like whatever position or authority and that kind of stuff. And I just I just can't do it. You know, I just can't you you can't. I feel like I, I I can say it with Paul because he's 2000 years earlier. And like I said, he's got so much, you know, real substance and fruit. But when I see someone like a fellow human today, if they say something like this, I go, you know, you're off your rocker. And, and you know, I have to, you know, just as, you know, Brutus pulled a knife, I might need to pull a knife, you know, <laughs> on, on your very, your, your self aggrandizing anyway. Yes, no, Adele, totally... Adele has made an uh, appearance. Oh, go ahead, Joe. We'll, we'll have Joe go first and then Adele. No, I totally agree. I mean, I would, I would feel like, instead, I would feel like, oh, that person needs to repent for even saying that. I meant Adele's dad, sorry. If you put a bow, you'd look like Adele. She had a headband on Sunday, and I go, that's David. But um, kind of on this note, 
Should we expect to attain to what Paul has? I mean, from based on what I said, I think if we have enough faith, we should uh, we should do it. But I mean, we might need more wisdom because you know there are people like me and Joe out there that you know want to pull knives and and and, and preach repentance. Um, I, I think if we have this kind of fruit, this kind of real spiritual power, it's 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 attainable. I think I have to say that. And and not let ourselves say, well, you know, that, that that's not for me, that's not for us. That to me would kind of miss miss, I think. Uh, uh, I mean, that would be a little bit lack of faith, right? Yeah, potentially. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, because verse twenty one is it says it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. So at the end of the day, it's not our effort. Right. At the end of the day, if we are going to attain to it, it's just, you know, God will do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we're not all in the same office as Paul is. Right? We're Ooh. not, you know, in the same type of ministry per se, right? But he has a calling to go to Europe and, you know, to reach, you know, the whole continent. Right? He's apostle to the Gentiles. We're not all called to be the same way. But I think in terms of our substance, we should not aspire to be any less. Yeah, I don't know about what office means. It's a TV I mean, show. Look, it's title. Okay, <laughs> let me kind of use that. Just, right? I, I, think, I think the word calling, that, that was best for, in my mind. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, oh, it's calling. right? It's, or, or mission or task, right? That God right, has right, given. Right. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, God's not always calling us to do the same thing right? in terms of our ministry, right? Yeah. But in terms of um, the, the heart behind it, in terms of, like you said, the substance behind it, 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 we should aspire to attain to what he, you know, he has attained. And um, we should believe that God can do that. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, again, like criticizing criticism if i could do it that say it that way criticizing criticism it it sometimes i think almost kind of uh is it invidiously is that the term or yeah i think invidiously uh, undermines faith not because it necessarily like is more realistic i like i try to say in the, in the first part or when i talk about the first part it it, um, it, 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 whatever weakens faith because it, um, it, it's an excuse. It, it, it lets us off the hook, right? I can't ever be like that, and nobody can ever be like that. Therefore, you know, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to really deal with that. But I'm saying someone like Apostle Paul is really there, and he makes us deal with it, or could be there, and and so we can't. In other words, our, you know, our um, realism about human nature has to subordinate itself to the realism of biblical faith. And that's so hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with David. This is an aspiration. You know, we should all be at least like in our walk, the aspiration is to be like Christ. 
So, and by God's grace, we can be transformed to be like Christ. But I guess it's like, uh, you know, Apostle Paul, like you've mentioned, I mean, he, he founded the church of Corinth, I mean, by God's grace, but through his desire, desires and his willingness to fulfill God's word and forget, fulfill God's will, um, he built that church. And um, I mean, so, and he has those relationships. He has that kind of relationship with the people there. So I feel like he can say those kind of things to them with a clear conscience, but I can't see myself and I don't know, is it, is it um, harsh to say, unless the person is like Apostle Paul, you know, for them to say something like this, I think would be, I don't know, maybe they should repent. <laughs> How about the non-video people? Any things to offer before I close in prayer? Short, please, because all the video people were long-winded. Okay. Well, you know, if God is going to do this, we need to pray that he would do it, either to do it in us or to help us be those that are willing to kind of learn from it, right? Learn in that way. So let's pray. Lord, um, thank you, as Joe mentioned, the heart of Apostle Paul, um, whether he really was this blameless and this, uh, his decision making was so Christ, uh, um, so Christ based. Um, um, sometimes we're not sure, sometimes our skeptical hearts uh, don't want to concede that. Um, but the fact that you are sovereign and that your spirit does as he pleases, um, we have to, I think, um, let go of the tight hold on our uh, gullibility. Uh, indeed, uh, may our epistemic humility really be grounded in the power and potential of God's word, God's spirit, God's love. Um, Lord, uh, help us uh, this through the, the next days, through the next months and years to uh, learn um, how to uh, better relate, how to restore relationships, how to um, have our own level of blamelessness the best we can. Um, I pray that we will not uh, excuse ourselves or chicken out because it really is difficult. Um, Thank you for our time. Continue to be with us uh, in fellowship. Um, I pray that words like sincerity and um, amen and uh, standing firm, guaranteeing, all these things can be uh, said of uh, this um, collective temple. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs>